Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more. Get the website at uh, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including our guest, Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. He will be joining us as well. It is July the 5th, and on this day in 1914 in Berlin, Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany pledged his country's unconditional support for whatever action Austria-Hungary chose to take in its conflict with Serbia, a long-running rivalry through its into a crisis by the assassination of the previous June 28th of Archduke Ferdinand uh, of Austria and his wife by a Serbian national during an official visit to Sarajevo, Bosnia. <clears throat> Barely a week after Ferdinand's uh, murder, the Austrian foreign ministry sent an envoy, Alexander de Graaf Hoyos, to Berlin. Hoyos carried a memorandum from his office of the office of Australian Foreign Secretary Leopold Berchtold, expressing the need for action in a tumultuous Balkans region, as well as the personal letter to the same effect from Emperor Franz Joseph Kaiser Wilhelm. Both do- documents uh, focused on the need for Austria-Hungary to establish an alliance with Bulgaria in place of Romania, which Germany had previously favored as a possible Balkan ally. Due to the latter's nation's increasingly close closeness with Serbia and its powerful support of Russia, neither the uh, memorandum nor the emperor's letter specified that Austria-Hungary wanted war, but the memorandum, a new version of an earlier, less emphatic text written uh, before Franz Ferdinand's assassination, stressed the need for immediate action, pointed to increased Serbian and Russian aggression, and stated as an objective the elimination of Serbia as a factor of political uh, power in the Balkans. Austria's ambassador to Germany uh, passed Hoyos two documents to the Kaiser over lunch on July the 5th in Potsdam. Wilhelm was outraged by Ferdinand's murder and felt a sense of personal loss. The two had met at Archduke's uh, country estate just two weeks before the assassination to discuss the situation of the Balkans. Though he initially demurred, he said he needed to consult the German uh, chancellor. He eventually, which uh, pressed by the uh, ambassador, responded with uncharacteristic decisiveness, promising Germany's faithful support for Austria's Hungary and every action it chose to take towards Serbia. Can you imagine that? Blindly making that commitment without understanding the terms? Even if Russia had intervened, later that afternoon, Wilhelm uh, assembled a crown council. From this meeting, a consensus emerged backing the Kaiser's decision, which was subsequently relayed to the Austrian representatives and triumphantly carried back to Vienna. The Kaiser's pledge, which historians refer to as the carte blanche or blank check assurance, marked decisive moment towards the, uh, the chain of events leading to the outbreak of the First World War in Europe during the summer of 1914. Without Germany's backing, the conflict in the Balkans might have remained localized, with German promising to support Austria-Hungary's punitive actions towards Serbia, even at the cost of war, with a Russia, whose own personal allies included France and Great Britain, the possible Balkan uh, war threatened to explode into a general European war. And it did. World War, actually. We got involved. Well, Joey Chestnut picked up his 16th Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest on Tuesday at Coney Island. He devoured 62 hot dogs in 10 minutes, although that's not his best effort. He set the record for most hot dogs eaten in 10 minutes with 76 in 2021. He had 63 in last year's contest. Can you believe that? It was quite an episode, quite a demonstration of of (laughs) culinary prowess. And by the way, uh, this is off topic, but uh, yesterday apparently was the hottest day ever recorded in our world history, at least recorded. Americans celebrated their Second Amendment rights over the million, uh, over one million times in June, the 47th straight month of record-setting uh, gun sales. 
According to the FBI, background checks for gun purchases passed one million last month. The National Shooting Sports Foundation, the industry representative, said that of two million one hundred fifty-two thousand one hundred eighty-seven background checks last month, one million one hundred ten thousand six hundred ninety-six were likely for gun purchase and transfers. The rest carry uh, for carry and other security permits. Uh, we here in the United States love the Second Amendment and our guns for sure. Well, federal judges blocked Biden's administration's officials from contacting social media companies in a landmark order targeting government censorship and suppression on online postings. U.S. District Court Judge Terry Doughty, a Trump appointee, determined Tuesday that the White House likely colluded with big tech to censor protected speech during the COVID-19 pandemic. During a period perhaps best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to the Orwellian Ministry of Truth, Doughty wrote in his 155-page order. That's a pretty strong language coming from a judge. And uh, well, we can only hope that the Biden administration complies with the order. The wait for a U.S. passport is uh, throwing American summer tra- pl- uh, travel plans into jeopardy. The State Department said the backlog is the result of lingering pandemic-related uh, staffing shortages and a pause in online processing. The department said its rec- record 500,000 passport applications in a week is on the uh, track to top 22 million passports issued last year. Now, well, of course, you'd expect that the State Department would uh, ban up, start to hire more people in order to issue passports. I don't think that's the case. Uh, see what happens when you uh, update your passport. You send your passport in and wait for the new passport to come back. So even if it's valid for another year or two, you can't travel without your passport. So it's important that I just suggest uh, the waiting list, uh, the wait to get a new passport, when it's expedited, was nine weeks just a few weeks ago. It's probably longer now. If you have any pl- travel plans, make sure that you uh, apply for a passport on an expedited right, uh, basis uh, well before the travel is planned. Well, a white powder was found in the White House's West Wing on Sunday, prompting an emergency hazardous material call to the Washington, D.C. Fire Department. The substance is now in a lab for further analysis, but it's believed to be cocaine, a source told the White House correspondent James Rosen. It's probably presumptuous to conclude it has anything to do with Hunter Biden, I'm sure we can count on the FBI to do a thorough investigation on that. Tongue-in-cheek, just kidding. Well, the Koch Network, uh, bankrolled by GOP mega-donor billionaire Charles Koch, is raising tens of millions of dollars to tank former President Donald Trump's chances of securing the Republican presidential nomination. Record reviewed by the uh, New York Times revealed that Coke Network has raised more than $70 million for its 2016-style effort to prevent Trump from becoming the GOP nominee to go up against Joe Biden. According to the Times, donors associated with the Coke Network have uh, hoped to throw their support behind Governor uh, Ron DeSantis in the GOP primary, but have since backed off following what is perceived to be a rocky campaign kickoff that launched on a Twitter space. The donors are also reportedly looking at Senator Tim Scott as an option to keep uh, Trump from the nomination. Don't think anything like that is going to work. He had a uh, a rally <clears throat> uh, this week. Fifty to seventy thousand people showed. It was more than the people in the in this town. It was just amazing uh, how dedicated the followers are to uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, so I think what's going to happen here is the Coke, uh, well, is going to continue to look for a candidate that gets uh, that they can support that will overcome uh, Donald Trump's leads. I don't think that's going to work. I think it'll be just like my opinion. Bloomberg, remember Bloomberg put hundreds of millions of dollars into the campaign. It was all for naught in 2016. Well, I think that's going to be the case here for Coke as well. Well, the study of one of the universe's biggest mysteries takes a key step forward last weekend at the European Space Agency launched its Euclid Space Telescope. This is so fascinating. The mission will probe the nature of dark energy and dark matter, which constitutes, get this, 95% of the universe, but remains 
poorly understood. The existence of both has been confirmed by, among other things, measuring how galaxies move and the energy coming from distant supernovas. The term dark refers to the properties known about each. Dark matter exerts a gravitational pull on objects but doesn't interact with light, while dark energy remains hypothetical and needs to be account for the uh, expansion of the universe. The Euclid mission will survey more than a billion, one billion galaxies. Can you believe there's a billion galaxies? Each with roughly 100 billion stars to measure a single parameter describing the effect of dark energy on universal expansion. Certainly gives you a a sense of we are just specks uh, of uh, in the universe, and uh, so is so is our globe. It's unbelievable how how minute we are in terms of this the uh, expansion and the and the size of the universe. It's amazing. Well, uh, Virgin Galactic launched its first commercial flight. It took nearly twenty years, but Richard Branson's space tourism. A company finally set its first paying customers to the edge of the space last week. Uh, The passengers were three Italians who flew up to a peak altitude of 279,000 feet to enjoy the view and conduct scientific experiments. After losing $500 million last year, Virgin Galactic hopes to be generating meaningful revenue by charging space tourists up to $450,000 a seat for a joyride in the Unity spacecraft. Unbelievable. I guess there's a market for that, but it can't be that big. Democrat presidential uh, challenger Robert Kennedy uh, continues to be a thorn in the side of an incumbent. By by this time, the issue at hand is particularly personal. In a blistering Twitter uh, tirade, Kennedy blasted the clandestine way uh, President Joe Biden and his administration decided to handle the announce announced that would uh, be maintaining secrecy indefinitely on certain records relating to the assassination of former President John F. Kennedy, which, of course, was Robert's uncle. Kennedy took on his personal Twitter account on Sunday and did not mince words when he tore into what he called a midnight announcement. It's not about conspiracy. It's about transparency, Kennedy tweeted. It's a midnight uh, Friday night announcement. The White House has delivered the bad news that President Biden will remain maintaining secrecy indefinitely on some JFK records. Uh, Kennedy appeared to be referencing a memorandum sent about around the executive department. Here, some of the, this is the last few words of the memorandum. That continued postponement of the public discourse of that information is necessary to protect against indefinite and identifiable harms to the military defense, intelligence operations, law enforcement, and the conduct of foreign relations that are of such gravity they outweigh the public interest in disclosure. I mean, he really said that. Now, the assassination was 60 years ago, said uh, Kennedy on Twitter. What national security secrets could possibly be at risk? Uh, well, I think one thing that's at risk is, first of all, drawing attention to Kennedy. That's one thing from a political standpoint I think Biden would like to avoid. But second of all, I think it would expose the fact that the CIA was involved in the assassination of JOK, that JFK. That's just uh, my opinion. This hail of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 
Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets. You can visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to defending free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, big tech, and uh, these big tech companies have take it or leave it, I think, uh, kind of uh, terms of service agreements that you have to sign off before you can start using uh, the site. Are these take it or leave it agreements a serious problem for consumers? Well, billions of people rely uh, globally on these giant tech companies for information and and even for social interaction. Uh, Facebook and Twitter and Google, they, they often include these sort of inconspicuous but verbose and sort of Byzantine provisions in their terms of service agreements. And and among the more onerous uh, stipulations, uh, the consumer sometimes waives litigation rights, gives the the website access to his browsing history and personal data, allows the company to uh, alter the terms of the agreement without any advance warning, and even sometimes agrees to restrictions on canceling uh, the service. And all of this is uh, frequently take it or leave it. Yeah, most of these uh, agreements are pretty much take it or leave it. But are, are they, these uh, terms of service provisions enforceable by big tech companies? Well, legally, these, these agreements are called contracts of adhesion. And what that means is basically boilerplate mm-hmm. that's fashioned uh, to favor one party with a very little opportunity for the other party to negotiate a better bargain. So essentially, yes, it's take it or leave it. So they're not illegal, but when the terms are too oppressive, the courts will sometimes bar enforcement under a doctrine of law called unconscionability. Um, legal doctrines such as the unconscionability doctrine, uh, they vary 
by jurisdiction, state mm. by state, and they can change very frequently as the technology evolves. So it's a mixed bag. That's so interesting. So how do courts determine whether terms of service are unconscionable? Well, a judge will usually consider <clears throat> the knowledge and the relative bargaining power of the two parties, uh, whether the buyer has a choice, uh, whether the seller has deliberately misrepresentative uh, or hidden one or more terms. Uh, so the, the criterion of fairness is not whether there's haggling over every transaction, mm -hmm. but whether the seller incorporated reasonable terms in the uh, standard form contract that the seller uses. And the question that the courts will ask is, would the buyer have assented, would he have agreed, if he realized that a particular term was or wasn't uh, part of the agreement? The buyer's awareness uh, can hinge on, on things like mundane things, like the size of the print, for example, uh, the length of the agreement, and and how complex uh, the terminology is. That's so interesting. Of course, the irony is that they purport to provide these services for free. <laughs> so that, that's right. Yeah. So of course, we know that's not the case. Exactly. So have the courts changed their view over time as technologies evolved? Uh, short answer: Yes. Uh, One-sided conditions are now more prevalent and they're widely publicized, and consequently, uh, the courts presume that users are better informed about these and less able uh, to claim that the user, that the customer, is doesn't comprehend this or is surprised by this. Mm -hmm. And for their part, the consumers, they wrongly believe that abusive terms in these agreements are not going to be enforced. That's not the case. They will frequently be enforced, and as a result, the typical user glosses over or casually disregards uh, some of the caveats in these agreements that should demand uh, more attention. So I, I highly recommend for big tech users that they pay more attention in scrutinizing uh, these agreements. And the interesting and frustrating thing about that, though, is that even if you scrutinize, they're probably not going to change it. Are there any benefits in having a take-it-or-leave-it term of service? There are. <clears throat> There's a powerful <clears throat> economic justification <clears throat> for having standard form uh, contracting. Uh, it materially reduces what's called transactions costs. And you can imagine how costly it would be to bargain with every user of big tech. Yep. Uh, and, and that promotes economic efficiency by precluding the name of the need for, for buyers and sellers to negotiate uh, many details of each of a sale each time that a product is, is sold. So the, the task, therefore, is to adopt public policies that harmonize these two competing concerns. On the, uh, on the one hand, we want to maximize the aggregate welfare of the buyers and the sellers. Yeah. And that argues for the standard form contract. But we need to balance that with distributing the benefits between the two groups so that these, the buyers in this case are not subject to oppressive terms. And that argues for tilting the terms more in favor of uh, consumers. The balance is the key. Balance indeed. So what role does the market play in dictating terms of service? Customarily, we let the market, and that means, you know, basically consensual terms between big tech and its users. Customarily, we will let the market decide these options. Uh, Facebook's audience doesn't have a, a right to use Facebook except on the terms that Facebook uh, supplies. So the, the choice to consent uh, is, is up to the user. Uh, the counter-argument, however, is that true consent isn't realistic when the terms of the bargain are, are too costly to figure out. So consumers retain the option to go elsewhere to seek some alternative channel of, uh, of communicating. And if, you know, if big tech were to lose enough customers in that manner, then the company would likely respond by modifying the terms of these agreements. On the other hand, if the company persists 
in offering these take-it-or-leave-it deals, we should probably conclude that users are okay with the bargain. Uh, after all, Facebook may enjoy a certain amount of market power, but unlike the government, Facebook can't force uh, users to either use their service or comply with the terms of service uh, agreement. I guess what Bud Light found that out. <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. So is, is government intervention justified? I think even hardcore free marketers concede that uh, tactics such as, you know, real tiny print and thousands of words and impenetrable uh, legalese uh, can more than offset the advantages of standard form contracts. So the result, uh, we have, you know, frequently prohibitive transactions costs, and that's a market imperfection. Uh, it's short of, short of outright fraud, but it can nonetheless negate the element of consent. Yeah. And accordingly, government may have a legitimate role to play. Uh, but the worst alternative would empower government to dictate these uh, selective terms of service. Uh, that is, you know, say, for example, you can't waive litigation rights. Uh, you can't allow the website to use your personal data. Uh, government dictation of these services are not uh, the answer. Uh, but more flexibility on the part of big tech may be. So interesting. Bob Leaving, I have so many other questions I'd like to ask you about this. Perhaps we can continue the conversation in a future discussion. Bob Levy, again, Chairman of the, of Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Again, the website is cato.org. I hope you'll check it out. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up. Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. You're a valued professional RN. There's a path that takes you to the next level. Hodges University offers an RN to BSN program that, like you, is way above average. RNs with a BSN have a faster track to pursuing leadership positions and can see faster hourly rate increases than those with an ASN. You can earn your BSN with Hodges in just one year. Classes are online and start in August. Scholarships are available. Become the next level nursing professional. Do more. Earn more. Be more. Visit Hodges.edu today. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us uh, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, typically on Wednesdays, we start our discussions with good news. Do you have any good news for us? I, I have a good news story, uh, in my opinion, obviously, but uh, I think it's worth noting for your audience. Uh, when I first started in college, Bob, I was an English literature major for my first two years, and one of the works we read was The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. It was 
uh, written primarily in around the middle of the 17th century. Uh, it was the most significant teaching book uh, used in uh, in England for for their children. Mm-hmm. And as you know, when I mention this to your audience, I am not a, a religious Christian, although I consider myself a philosophic Christian. In other words, I I support the ideas and the the needed influence of classical Christianity in America. I, I still do, although I'm not a Christian. Uh, but again, I think that's uh, that's an important thing because it gives me somewhat of a, a neutral position to comment from. So, mm-hmm. as I offer what I'm going to say, it's in that it's in that sense. But what the Pilgrim's Progress does, it shows the the, the travel uh, of of the pilgrim from the dark city, the city of darkness, to the celestial city. Now, in Christian terms, that would be earth to to heaven. But as, a, uh, as someone who is not seeing it that way, it, it looks at the difficult tra- uh, traveling through life, the, the problems that the individual confronts, trying to or confront him as they try to uh, stay on the, the, the straight and narrow path. I'm going to call it uh, of truth. Uh, and so I think as a teaching document, there are very few things that are as, as instructive as the Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, although written in the middle of the 17th century. That's so interesting. You know, Andy, it reminds me of McGuffey's Reader that was popular as a reading tool back in uh, the turn of the century, the the 20th century. It's certainly in, in the same category, and uh, I, uh, it's it's a it's an interesting read. Actually, there's a a full length. Um, uh, animated feature on Prime of the uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. Hmm. Uh, it's filled with humor, and it, you know, it, it's got the dark side, because that's uh, to a certain extent what it's about, what happens to human beings as they try to maintain the good life. And I think that's why it was so effective as a teaching device for children. I, I think we must also note that uh, even going back several hundred years, you can see how societies were deeply concerned with the appropriate instruction of their children. I, I don't know if we have anything that even vaguely corresponds to that uh, in modern America, Bob. Yeah, I really don't think we do. So um, is that what's lacking right now? Would you, uh, what, what is your thought about or, uh, uh, the importance of this today? Of the Pilgrim's Progress? Yes. Well, again, I think they're talking, uh, John Bunyan talks about universal things that, that get in the way uh, of, of a person's progress through life, uh, envy, pride, jealousy, uh, lack, of, lack of humility, uh, a variety of things that affect the, uh, the, the person's ability to, yeah. to stay true, not only to, to themselves, but to the truth. And I think that's, that's an important lesson. It's something that certainly has uh, gone astray in America. And uh, I'm, I'm not saying it's for everyone, certainly not, but uh, I do think we have to get back to figuring out a methodology by which we can instruct our children into, uh, in some important values. We used to use the founding fathers, not not because we were extolling their uh, individual virtues, but we we used them to represent uh, uh, values generically. For example, um, George Washington could not tell a lie. Now, we probably told lies, Bob, but we're trying to teach our children using this methodology. That no longer is available to us. Right. So, again, getting back to the same point, we don't have the tools in at our disposal at this moment to teach our children uh, generic values that are important for everyone uh, as they pursue their, their life path, Bob. You are absolutely, I'm so happy you brought that point up, Andy. And uh, uh, I mean, yeah, and what we're substituting that with is, of course, woke, uh, progressive uh, uh, wokeness and uh, the whole notion of climate change and uh, uh, critical race theory and all these things that are replacing what should be teaching people the values that will allow them to become successful human beings in our society. Yeah, and we can see within those things you mentioned the that the human values, the human reality is is being lost, and uh, humanity is not even a consideration in many of these things that are being that are being proposed. It, uh, humanity doesn't matter. Uh, now, in in the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, humanity matters. It matters as the uh, as as a Christian would have it as the most profound manifestation of the creativity of of God. 
Uh, I see it, and that's I have no problem with anyone seeing it that way, obviously. But but I see it as humanity is all we can measure uh, life on this planet by. The quality of human life and its its value systems are the essential ingredient on whether we have a successful planet uh, and a successful world or not, Bob. Interesting, Andy. Well, thank you for that. Any other good news? Well, actually, this is uh, probably the first time in a long time on the show, Bob, where I think the, the good news is actually the, the important news. Uh, in many cases, my, my good news stories are sort of uh, subsets. But I think in, in this case, uh, on today's, today's date of uh, July 5th, I guess, uh, the good news is the recent decisions by the, uh, by the Supreme Court. That's the good news, and I think it is overwhelmingly uh, the most important news that we've had, and certainly the most encouraging news, in my estimation, that we've had in, uh, in, a, in a long, long time, Bob. I couldn't agree more. Andy, I mean, it's so refreshing to see that the Supreme Court made some of these decisions that bring us back to the importance of uh, uh, the separation of powers, of uh, so many different things, and identifying the role of each branch of government, uh, I think they did just a terrific job in this in this term. I what? mean, it's just extremely well done. And if there's <clears throat> if there's one thing that we should really thank President Trump for, uh, and there's many things, obviously, in my estimation, but uh, one thing that may be ultimately the most important uh, is ability to put constitutionalists on the Supreme Court. Uh, I don't use the word conservatives to define who uh, these people are: uh, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, uh, uh, Barrett, uh, um, Alito, uh, Thomas. I don't describe them as conservatives. I describe them as they should be described, as constitutionalists, right. as people who believe the Constitution means what it says, and it must be implemented. Uh, you know, and then if there's other things that have to be changed, uh, maybe there can be congressional legislation or amendments and so forth. But the job of the Supreme Court is to apply the Constitution as it was written and as it was intended, Bob. Andy, I need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll, I'll be here. Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Gain the skills you want so you'll be in demand by employers. That's what Hodges University's Workforce Readiness is all about. Choose your specialty from EV technician, automation, robotics, real estate, insurance, and electronics to programming boot camps, supply chain management, and more. These classes are online, affordable, and focused on what you need to know. Learn more today by visiting Hodges.edu and clicking on Workforce Readiness. Because with Hodges University, you'll stay near and go far. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the uh, Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and know the policy, and they help prepare elected officials to win in the legislature. The website is the FGA 
fga.org, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. And as I heard you making your promotional piece, I can't think of anything more important, actually, at least it's one of the most important, is government accountability. Not no. that they exist, not that they do things, but they have to be accountable for what they do. And we're, we're seeing so little of that in America today, Bob. And it's so true. And, uh, uh, just a great organization. I hope uh, our listeners will check out VFGA.org. Terrific totally, organization. Totally agree. I, I just wanted to allude to a few of these uh, things that are coming out that are called science by the progressive left. Uh, uh, the first thing is the elimination of cows on the planet. Now, certainly there's an incredible uh, number of cows on this planet, but the, the elimination of them, which is already taking place in, uh, in certain countries such as the Netherlands, would also eliminate cheese, it would eliminate butter, it would eliminate steak, it would eliminate uh, so many things that are essential sources of protein for the, for the human process. So this, this pressure to uh, eliminate cows, I think it started with the recognition that, that they have a high degree of flatulence, which produces uh, methane, which is a global warming uh, gas, as they would have it. Uh, so I think this all goes back to the original uh, global uh, suppressing global warming position. Uh, another thing that's being suggested by the progressive left is the use of, of kites, or actually they're, I, I guess they'd be called parafoils, uh, to help propel uh, cargo ships. Now, this is uh, obviously something that's been used for the last 5,000 years, sails to propel ships. But this is a, a new way, again, once again, of helping to overcome the, the problems of global warming. I think with, with both of those stories, you can see how much global warming drives so many things. Yeah. Another story coming out of the scientific left, in quotations, uh, is the story that uh, human use of groundwater is causing the Earth to wobble. Uh, now, again, this, this is an amazing story. Uh, they say it's about the same as, uh, as co continental drift would have caused. Of course, it could still be continental drift, and the wobble is, is minimal. But the importance of the story is they make it an anthropogenic problem. In other words, humanity causing something as, again, a global warming story. So uh, you can see all these stories, and that's the point I'm making, wind themselves back into global warming. Yeah. Now, the one that specifically uh, defines that, and again, it's not immediately being uh, moved on in terms of the planning phase by the White House, but it's a, a process of trying to uh, control or limit the impact of the sun's rays on the Earth. Now, certainly, what, what could go wrong with that, Bob? Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it, it's an amazing story. Uh, it's very minimal right now in terms of its moving forward. But that doesn't mean it can't move forward. We've seen so many of these things that happen uh, that do uh, seem uh, eccentric at the first blush. Uh, they're not supported dramatically at that first moment, but then they gain momentum, and lo and behold, uh, we're trying to do it. So I can't think of anything more dangerous, actually, than trying to limit the, the impact of the sun's rays. Uh, in my estimation, the most serious uh, climate change implication that we face is the return of the Ice Age. Now, that's not an eccentric or a, uh, a crazy hypothesis. It will return. It's just right. a matter of when. So to accelerate that return is a very, very dangerous thing. Uh, but there's another story, and I'm just sort of continuing this, this uh, range of thought here, uh, where there's stories constantly coming out uh, that demonstrate how previous civilizations, Bob, have been destroyed uh, by, by climate change. And they use this to say that we have to be very careful with climate change, because if we look at the history of the planet, we can see that an Angkor civilization, Norse, the Rapa Nui civilization, the Mayan, Indus Valley, uh, Tuanaku, uh, all these civilizations, they, are, they define on the uh, progressive left as being destroyed by climate change. And I have no doubt that's true. But to me, Bob, the story is not that these should serve as a warning to us today, but should also give us information that going back, these stories go back uh, 1,500 and 2,000 years BCE, uh, and so they proceed up to the middle of the second millennium. It shows how consistently climate change has been, all, has been the norm in the human experience. Yeah. So yes, I mean, these climate change things that occur, that naturally occur, obviously, because they've been occurring almost for the last 5,000 years of documented, uh, documented human history. 
keeping in that before I before I end this extended comment, uh, there's a recent story that nobody seems to be paying any attention to, that back in May and June of this year, the temperatures in Los Angeles did not go above 80 degrees. Huh. Two consecutive months, May 1st to June 29th, the temperatures in Los Angeles City did not go above 80 degrees. The first time that's happened in measured, uh, in measured history since 1878. So where are the people suggesting this is an indication of, 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 of global cooling, perhaps? I know I'm not saying it is, but these type of stories, which have significance, two months of sustained temperatures below 80 degrees, no temperature higher, is a big, a big weather story, if not a big climate story, Bob. So interesting, Andy. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of this, from my mental map, has to do with just the elimination of a higher power uh, from the conversation. I mean, the globe is going to be fine. <laughs> The globe is going to do what it's going to do. It is an organism that's self-adjusting and, and takes care of itself. Certainly don't need human intervention in the whole process. Uh, things will be fine here on Earth if we just leave well enough alone. And, uh, uh, you know, and <clears throat> that goes into other issues as well. So in, in my opinion, uh, was it, I think it was back in the 30s or 40s we were concerned about global cooling. Well, I mean, if we go back just in the early 70s, uh, this past century, certainly that that was the major concern. In the early 1970s, it was, I guess, Paul Ehrlich, who was a strong environmentalist and, uh, you know, a, a apocalyptic environmentalist, you know, was predicting that the, the end of civilization in something like the next 15 years, because global cooling would wipe out all the product, uh, the, the, uh, the crop products on the planet. Right. Uh, this also can be stated back in the early 1920s, right. uh, where there were major stories and all the major newspapers and the, the magazines at that point uh, indicating the, uh, the expansion of, uh, of global ice. And by the way, it's expanding today. The, uh, there, there's an amazing expansion of, of, of Arctic ice at this point, and Antarctic ice, uh, much to the chagrin, I think, of the, uh, of the, the doomsday prophets in terms of, of climate change. Uh, but, you know, again, I think the future is certainly unwritten. It's unknown. And I think the future will have technologies uh, that are infinitely beyond anything we can even imagine right now to try to deal with these issues, even if you see them as a problem. And I don't. And I'm, I'm guessing you see appropriately that the, the planet will take care of itself. But if there is a problem. Uh, future technologies that we don't even understand at this point uh, will be the ones to take care of it. It will not be using these ancient technologies like windmills and so forth or kites uh, to deal with it. So the, the, the future will, will cure our problems, and we have to rely on that because that's exactly what's happened throughout human history, Bob. Uh, great point, Andy. And I'll also suggest the one point that I failed to mention previously is that uh, you know, we we wear masks and we have lockups and all kinds of things and and vaccines. It turns out that that, that whole thing was an, an entire thing was a hoax. Uh, the uh, people up in uh, in Pennsylvania who drive carriages, uh, the, they didn't take shots. They didn't wear masks. They didn't do, participate in lockdowns, and their life expectancy is much higher than other people who uh, who participated in all that nonsense. So again, uh, we we have an immune system to take care of ourselves. We need to trust that. Well, I mean, there's worldwide we can see. I think it was Sweden that that did not. Uh, uh, bring in any uh, draconian measures in terms of COVID. Uh, the outcome they had, I think, was better than the rest of the world in general. Right. Uh, I'm not sure of exactly if it was better, but certainly no worse. And, and it's, fine. it's hard to find a, a circumstance, a state, a locality, a government, a country, anywhere, uh, where they're somewhat ignoring the draconian imposition of mass and, and, uh, and, and enclosed, people in being closed in their homes produced any noticeable or measurable benefit, Bob. Absolutely, Andy. Again, Andy, we need to take a break. Can you stick around? Good. I'll sip on my coffee right now. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. 
With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. ask yourself why people are the way they are. If you're fascinated by human behavior and you want to make a career of it, you know where you need to start? Hodges University with a bachelor's degree in applied psychology. Your professors are practicing professionals that bring your classes to life with live chat discussions and various projects. You know, having a deeper understanding of what motivates people can lead to careers in counseling, sales, human resources. Your passion can be your career. So get started today. What are you waiting for? Visit Hodges.edu or stop by their campus in Fort Myers. They're at the corner of Colonial and Winkler. Because with Hodges University, you're going to stay near and go far. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to remind you that uh, Wednesday night through Saturday nights, at Lulabee's Dine in the Green Tree Shopping Center, known typically for its great breakfast and lunches, now serving dinner from 4 to 8 p.m. And the menu is great. The food is great. The prices are extremely reasonable. It's a great opportunity. Don't need to make a reservation. Just go to Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. Any thoughts on the Supreme Court decisions that have come down? Well, yeah, let me just uh, briefly allude to two of them, and then we'll spend more time on the latter one, which is the affirmative action case. In Biden versus Nebraska, uh, it was uh, decided that uh, the president does not have the executive ability to forgive the, uh, forgive the student loans. Um, I think that was obvious constitutionally. Right. Um, we'll see if Biden can work around it. I know he will do everything he can. This is another one of those situations where I think the administration did not have anticipate success, but they wanted the Republicans to shut it down for, for political purposes. Uh, I think also with that decision, you can see why uh, affirmative action, before we get to it, affirmative action on the Supreme Court is not a good thing. We can see that with Kagan's re, uh, absurd dissent on this. Uh, <laughs> And, and again, you look at Kagan, Sotomayor, and Katanji Brown-Jackson, and some of their dissents on all three of these cases were, were absolutely outside the realm of, of constitutional law. Just, right. just amazing. But again, that was a good ruling, a solid ruling, a ruling and I think an obvious ruling. Uh, the next case, which is the 303 creative decision, as it's referred to, essentially su- suggests that a person cannot be required by law or by government in, in totality of using their creative efforts for a purpose, uh, value-laden purpose, that, for which they do not agree. Right. Okay, so uh, this is, I think, an important case. This was not uh, an accommodation issue. In other words, an accommodation issue is if you have a hotel that's open, it's got rooms in it, you can't deny anyone access to those rooms uh, based on race or any, or any other protected characteristic. But this is not an accommodation issue. This right. basically says that a person's creativity cannot be put at the demand of a value system that they disagree with. This is a free speech issue. I think their ruling was absolutely correct, uh, necessary, and, uh, and uh, 
uh, appropriate. Now, many have lamented this decision because they say it really has not even come up. Uh, but the, the person uh, launching this, this, this case uh, was using what's called pre-enforcement. Pre-enforcement means it exists uh, as a potential and it's challenged before the actual enforcement moment takes place. Very important decision for free speech, very important decision to protect creativity. So those two, I think, are, are, are solid decisions. I, I think there was no significant uh, doubt as to the way they would go. Now, the third case, which is uh, titled the Students for Fair Admissions Incorporated versus the President and Fellows of Harvard College, a very lofty uh, title. But basically, this uh, prevents or eliminates, minimizes the use of affirmative action or race-based characteristics uh, for uh, for. for um, for college admissions, university admissions. Uh, this was a, uh, an issue that has been long de- been debated, affirmative action in general, and I think in this case the, uh, the Supreme Court ruled very, very appropriately and accurately. I would add, and if we have time I'll get into it, if not next week, I think affirmative action is one of the most poorly understood concepts uh, in, this, in this country. Uh, I can judge that uh, primarily by, by some of the commentary uh, that takes place. So let me just ask for your opinions, and if I can get to that, I will get back to it. Bob. Well, uh, the, the affirmative action uh, decision to initially to, to uh, put affirmative action into our, our law was the big, big mistake. And I'm just so grateful that this Supreme Court has changed it. We should be focusing on achievement, on uh, accomplishments, rather than on the color of a skin or anything like that. That's just totally absurd. So I'm just very grateful to this Supreme Court for bringing us back to the Constitution. Well, and this is particularly important when we reach the final playing field of life. That is, when we're talking about people actually operating in the STEM fields or the medical fields, legal fields, and so forth. Certainly, uh, I have no tolerance for it any place, but particularly when we're using affirmative action as a way of placing people in those areas right. or into those colleges that support those areas. We're talking about seriously damaging the, uh, the very quality of American life. Now, most people do not understand that uh, affirmative action does not in any way directly deal with discrimination. No. Uh, it merely states that if the numbers hold, in other words, if the, the percentage of, of African Americans, let's say, that are being uh, admitted to a college uh, is the same as the uh, the population they're being drawn from, that that's okay. But if it falls below that number, in other words, you're drawing from a number that's 100, and you're only selecting from that 120 percent, uh, a number that is less than the Asians uh, or the, the white populations. That That's a brief, very... Uh, uh, imprecise definition, by the way. But basically, it never actually takes on and defines discrimination as having taken place. It is only concerned with producing a statistical norming. That is all it's about. Right. So if, if an individual African-American is discriminated against, uh, affirmative action has no concern with that whatsoever. It presumes that any African-American who gets that slot, whether it's in a, a government uh, post or in a college is the same as any other African-American. It does not deal with any direct acts of discrimination. And Thomas Sowell has researched the implication of prejudicial treatments like this worldwide. He finds that at very best, they have no impact on the people that are supposedly supposed to benefit, and where they do have impact, they mostly affect those that least needed it, Bob. Yeah, so well said, Andy. I mean, uh, to me, this is such a good decision. Of course, we hear uh, the concern about we're going to lose diversity in our universities and so forth. And keep in mind that uh, university enrollment and applications are down, about, I think about 2.5%, if I'm not mistaken. So, in fact, there's going to be lots of slots to be able to, to be filled by these colleges around the United States, and I think that we'll have plenty of diversity when, when the uh, uh, 
when the and let, well, let me just say that the word diversity is, is, is misused. Demographic diversity is of no purpose whatsoever. Absolutely. Otherwise, that's gender, race, ethnicity. If we're looking for intellectual diversity, I think we are having less <clears throat> and less intellectual diversity right. in our colleges. Just check out the sociology department of any major college, and you'll find maybe, maybe a Republican, maybe nationwide. So the intellectual diversity was greater in the 60s when it was primarily corporations and government was a white male operation. Now, I'm not advocating it be that. Right. I'm just saying that white males who see nothing in common with each other would naturally seek out variance in their intellectual positioning. That does not take place in today's colleges. So you have this, this absolutely unified, uh, woke voice, as we could, we could describe it, that is dominating the, the university world. Bob. I'll tell you, Andy, just great information. I really appreciate your commentary on these critical issues. Again, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. I hope you check it out. A different topic, but certainly so interesting. Andy, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining See us. See you soon, Bob. All right. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got some great guests for tomorrow, including Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. <clears throat> Dr. George Markovich, orth orthopedic surgeon and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>